to the Gym Podcast. Uncut, unfiltered, unreal. Welcome everybody to the Gym Podcast, the Conference Championship Game Edition. I'm very excited for this episode for uh, yeah, obvious yeah. reasons. I think Jimbo is too, is that right? I'm, I'm pretty excited, though probably not for the same reason as you. I don't know if you're more excited to to gloat about you being the only one to correctly predict the uh, SEC championship for me because I get to be on the receiving end of all this joy and happiness. Let me make it perfectly clear. I'm I'm not happy that Bama won as a football fan, but I am happy they won as someone who predicted they would win. Because seriously, it felt like everyone doubted Bama heading into that week. I doubted Bama going into the (laughs) week. I feel like here's the thing. I knew we had the potential to do this. I have We've seen glimpses of it throughout the season. We played a great game versus Ole Miss and Mississippi State, who are pretty good opponents. But we thought there was no way they would have this fabled finally have a complete game right here when they needed to the most. I mean, we also, fun fact, we won this game by the same exact score, 41 to 24, yep. as we did in 2020. Oh, and I feel like at a certain point, that's just a little cruel like if if Georgia loses to us again in the in the playoffs, it's going to be the I same mean, score. <laughs> I'm just saying it's going to become they're going to become a punchline at that point. I feel like they already are at this point. It's going to be called Georgia-ing, and they're going to become a punchline, and that's really hard to shake, and that's more embarrassing than just straight up losing. That's true. Uh, before we go too much further in depth, because I know you want to give a full on rant about Georgia and Alabama, uh, yeah. Just want to say this week um, we plan on recapping the all championship games, or at least the the ones we watched. <laughs> And kind of talking about all this coaching chaos that's been erupting through college football. Um, within the last week, we've had, what, like three or four people just randomly leaving premier P5 programs to go somewhere else. Kind of shocking. Um, and I just want to say up front, we do plan on eventually getting to bowl game predictions. But we're saying that for next week, we've decided. Is that true, Randy? That is true. We're going to save that for next week, just because there are a lot of There's other lot. topics to talk about. Yeah, There's a lot. But that said, that all out of the way, the disclaimer out of the way, Randy, <laughs> just just walk me through how your Saturday went. Just what were you thinking? You know what I mean? I remember going down 10-0 to zero and being incredibly nervous and being like, oh no, here it comes. <laughs> but I just never saw Georgia adapt to any type of situation, but mm-hmm. we did. Whenever we needed to have a play just out of nowhere, we had it. I feel like Georgia's scheme, well, I know Georgia's scheme is very, they run a very simple offensive scheme and a very simple defensive scheme. Mm -hmm. And it's the type of scheme that can beat seven, eight win teams pretty easily with talent. And their players aren't going to make mistakes. The thing is, when they go into games like this, they have one plan that they can have. And it has to be that plan, and that plan has to work, and they can't adapt on the fly. Meanwhile, Alabama, we have a lot of different ways we can win games. We can win in a shootout, we can win in a defensive slugfest, and we can win on special teams. And we've won in all three ways this year. Mm -hmm. We have a scheme that's adaptable. It's very complex, and that's why we started off the season slow with a young team like we have. It's very complex, Mm -hmm. and it takes a while for the players to learn. The thing is, Saban is willing to take risks such as risking losing games like versus Texas A&M in order to have the most complete team by the end of the year. He knows that that's necessary if you want to win in the postseason. And yeah, we talk about, you know, one game at a time, one game season. And while that's true, you do have to keep an eye on the bigger picture. And I remember my one criticism, my biggest criticism of Georgia was that it seems like when they say, they take one game at a time and treat it like a one-game season. They take it too far and treat it too literally. Mm-hmm. And that exactly came true. They they didn't really have a plan for us outside of just being Georgia. And I get that you can't play outside of who you are. You know, you don't want to get too outside your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. But you shouldn't have to. I mean, we didn't do anything new. Right. Everything we did to Georgia was things we have shown throughout the season but it's so been like bits, of, calling. bits and pieces, though, here and there. It's not all the and we, same. Exactly, know? exactly. And so we had the perfect game plan that we're able to pick bits and pieces from. And no matter how the flow of the game was going, we were going to have a plan. If we were getting stopped, we had a plan. If this was getting stopped, we had a plan. Right. If the game was more of a shootout, we had a plan for how we were going to call the game with the flow of the game. Also, on our offensive line, we allowed zero sacks to what was considered coming into the game possibly the greatest defense of all time. All time. And here's the thing. No, there were there were two or three players in, off- in our offensive line that played today whose names I straight up did not recognize. <laughs> and we also had players on the offensive line. They were playing 
offensive line positions they hadn't played before. So they clearly did some shuffling. Yeah. Um, I kind I saw it coming. I saw improvement coming, but I didn't expect it to be that improved. This because this we did improve. Yeah. yeah, we improved a lot in the second half of the Auburn game where we shuffled things around a little bit. Mm-hmm. It was just it came so late in that game, people aren't going to really yeah. pay attention. Because I, I would almost game. argue that this final score wasn't really quite indicative of just how much of a blowout it was by the end there. You know, it just felt like Bama was really like, ever since like halfway through the second quarter, Bama was just in complete control of that game. You know, I mean, Georgia came out swinging, but like you said, Bama just made some adjustments. And I, I remember thinking after that that first touchdown Bama had that giant like seventy yard pass or whatever it was, I thought, yep, it's Bama. Here it comes. Here it comes, and it just doesn't and stop. <laughs> I remember you messaged me. You messaged me, and you said. Game over, a good game. When it was yeah. ten to seven, yeah, as you were saying, we're going to win on my stop. I know what you're doing, and you need to stop. Yeah. Well, sure enough, though, <laughs> I didn't want you to jinx us. Well, and and that's the thing. We're we're praising Bama, but I think we also need to really we need to kind of uh, take uh, you know Kirby Smart into account here and, and kind of take down Georgia because really they did nothing, man. They just they just kind of like Bama just kind of was taking control of the game, and Georgia's felt flat. They felt uh, uncreative. It felt like they couldn't get anything going on offense there in the second half. And that has to be on Kirby Smart, right? Absolutely. And that's the thing is he, he deserves a lot of criticism for how this game went because he just didn't – he doesn't have an adaptable scheme. He's too scared to take risks. I told you about how Nick Saban is willing to potentially drop games versus teams like Texas A&M. Mm-hmm. If it means running a more complex adaptable scheme that's going to have you be a more complete team by the end of the year, yeah. Kirby doesn't do that. If we wanted to, we could have ran just as boring of a scheme and a guarantee a win versus A&M. But what does that get us if we lose in the postseason, you know? Right. And I think Kirby, I don't know what he's trying to do, if he's trying to just (laughs) establish some coaching stability to keep his seat cool so he can take risks later, or if he legitimately just doesn't know how to get out of his comfort zone and take those risks with his team, with schemes, complexity. I think it's it's that, dude. I think, I mean, Nick Saban has, like, just kind of perfected this art. And I, I, I... I accredit it, accredit it to Nick Saban being something of, like, a CEO, right? He has this, like, factory of assistants who can, like, analyze film 24-7 and give him so much data and analytics in, into every single facet of his team, right? And so he has all this information being flooded into him, and his job is kind of processing all that and filtering it out and kind of, you know, piecing everything together. I, I don't see Kirby Smart at all like that, like, in any way. He doesn't strike me as that type of guy. Is that fair? I think that's completely fair. Um, he, I think he tries to. I think he tries to play that CEO role. But just listening to their press conferences and their interviews, you can tell Nick Saban always has like a very intuitive, intelligent point that you can tell he has his finger on the pulse of the team mm-hmm. and saying what they need to hear. He knows how to. He knows what the team is feeling. He knows how to say what they need to hear. He knows how to build them up when they need to be built up and criticize them when they need to criticize them in a professional way. While with Kirby, it's just always like these weird, weird. You never get anything from the interview. It's always weird. I don't want to say empty platitudes, but that's yeah. the best analogy I can come up with. Yeah. Where it's like, well, it's about our leadership and about our coaching, and we got to play hard, and it's about <laughs> the process. And no matter what the situation is, that's always what he goes to. Yeah. And yeah, Saban will sprinkle that in here and there, but that's not all he says. Yeah, there's a lot more depth to it, right? Uh, but yeah, I mean, that said, it just, man, Georgia, it, it feels like so long as Kirby Smart's in town, in my mind, they're not going to ever get over this hump. I think, you know, they would need Bama really having like a true down year in order to possibly have a shot here. Because really, I, I think if they do end up facing each other again in the playoffs, which I don't, again, I don't want to go too far down that path, but... If they face each other again in the national title, I think it's be the same exact game. I think it's be the same exact. Georgia just can't make adjustments. Bama outwits them and just wins off of really like a more cerebral game. You know? I mean, I don't want to go that far with it. He might be willing to try to take those risks. He might be willing to. He might That's... be. So we talked about this the last episode where it's important to raise the floor before you try to hit the ceiling. Mm-hmm. And I think... I don't want to criticize him for trying to raise the floor first mm-hmm. because that would be a little hypocritical of us. Mm-hmm. But on the same token, I completely see what you're getting at. It's now or never. Like, that's the thing. Like, it's literally the stakes don't get much higher than this. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and that's what Harbaugh did. Harbaugh raised the floor, went 10 yes. and 2, had some good seasons, and he built, he bought himself some time to where his seat would not get too hot. And he ended up taking these risks. 
he went eight and four mm-hmm. uh, one year, but he built up enough of a floor to where eight and four really was his floor. The risks didn't pan out mm-hmm. and it didn't make a seat very hot. He didn't have a great year last year in the COVID year. But now that he's starting to really figure out and get it humming along, mm-hmm. they're in the playoffs. They're playing Georgia. And I really like Michigan in that game, although we're not going to preview it this episode. Yeah, we'll say that. I really do like Michigan. I will say, I, I'm assuming you watched the Big Ten Championship on Saturday. I um, did. What a performance by Michigan. I mean, I, honest to God, like this is the best Michigan has ever looked in my entire life, uh, which is saying quite a bit because they have been a pretty solid team for the last you know seven years since Harbaugh got there or whatever. Uh, they just look extremely physical. I mean, they, they look as physical as a team like Georgia does or a team like Ohio State, maybe even Alabama. Um, and that's something I'm not really used to seeing out of Michigan. Um, so it's it's really cool to see them in this position where, like you said, all these years of trying out new things, you know, getting new offensive coordinators, getting new DCs and so on and so forth, it's finally paying off. I feel like the stars are finally aligning and things are clicking for once um, over with Michigan. <clears throat> It was hard for me to tell in that game if it was more about Michigan being really, really good <laughs> or, or Iowa just being awful. <laughs> I mean, a little bit of both. A little bit of both, I think. I mean, they have Spencer Petras, who is part of the unholy trinity of quarterbacks named Spencer this year. Of course. Um, <laughs> and they just really could not get anything going. They're, they, they, their offense is worse than Georgia's in terms of being vanilla. I, I agree. really saying something. I agree. Iowa's offense, we knew it was going to be crappy and weren't going to put up a lot of points. So, like, yeah, I, I, I get that argument. But Iowa actually does have a decent defense. I'm not going to say elite, but pretty decent. And the way Michigan was putting up points there at the end, man, by that fourth quarter, I mean, they were just piling it on. I think they had 21 points in the fourth quarter alone. Um, to, to me, that's, that's exactly what a playoff caliber team, a national title caliber team does to a team like Iowa. You know, they, they, they went 42 to 3. That's pretty dominant in my book. That is dominant. It was very much a crockpot win. I would have been very curious to see a Wisconsin-Michigan recap. Uh, I'm sorry to bring this up. I know. It would, I, I, we would have played closer. Lost to Minnesota. We would have played I feel closer. like it would have been a very good game. We would have gotten a better idea of what Michigan really is. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to say where I'm doubting them or anything, but no, I know it would have been mean. interesting to see that. A better test, I think. Especially in yeah. defense. Oh, by the way, speaking of Wisconsin, yeah. because Alabama put up 41 on Georgia, Wisconsin is now the number one defense statistically in the country. It's good to be back. So that would have been interesting to see versus Michigan. It's good. Yeah, I, also, I, I want to throw this out there. We please. account for 33% of all points scored on Georgia. That's insane. The whole season. That's insane. I, I'm sorry. I had to bring all that up. <laughs> I didn't know that's that. Oh I couldn't God. find a good way to bring it up before, so there no, you that's, go. That's perfect. But yeah, I mean, Michigan, I mean, the thing is, they've been tested by elite teams in Ohio State before and had a convincing win over them. I think they're red hot right now. And again, I'm just happy for them. I'm happy it's someone other than Ohio State coming out of the Big Ten. You know, like Michigan, as much as I've, I ragged on their fans earlier this year and, you know, said that it was their Super Bowl beating Wisconsin. In, in hindsight, obviously not. <laughs> but yeah, but the hey, thing I is, predicted them. Yeah. My hot take was them going eight and four. Remember? That's true. That's true. I mean, we all kind of doubted them. But the thing is, they like they, they needed those stepping stones, right? They needed to have like a really dominant win over Wisconsin. They needed to have that dominant win over Ohio State, and obviously a huge win um, on Saturday against Iowa. It, it feels like they've been like inching towards this like greater greater goal right and it's just it's it's fun to watch it's fun to watch it's just like a neutral fan you know i agree i mean watching new blood is always I mean, they, fun unless they were, my team that's affected. they were unranked yeah. entering the year that's crazy that's never happened before in the college football play fair that uh oh that's team i didn't know that playoffs. that is yeah. interesting yeah. No. And also, Jim Harbaugh, I saw the, I saw the uh, headline where he is the only coach that's been to the NFL playoffs and college football playoffs. It's a fun fact. Granted, not the huge sample size, but still a fun fact. <laughs> yep. But yeah, Michigan, good for them. Iowa, you suck. Um, <laughs> moving on. How about let's talk about, let's kind of rewind it back here to Friday night. Uh, did you catch the Oregon-Utah Pac-12 championship by any chance? You mean the game that happened three weeks ago, too? Oh, my goodness. It, the same it was literally <laughs> a carbon copy repeat of that game that happened three weeks ago. Utah oh, just man. dominated. Yeah. I don't know if Cristobal had one foot out the door yet, but yeah, it, it looked sure. like it. I'm sure he did. And we'll, we'll get we'll get to that later. But, yeah, I mean, Utah, I got to say, I, it's a shame they lost those games early on in the season against those, like, G5s. Because, man, at this point, like, at this exact moment in time, I would say Utah is easily a top-10 team in terms of who would win today? You know what I mean? Like they're red hot right now. And oddly enough with, with, with the Rose bowl, I, 
I'm kind of interested in that game versus Ohio State. Like, heading into the year, if you told me Ohio State was playing Utah in the Rose Bowl, I would have laughed and said Ohio State by 100. But Utah, dude, they have a very legit defense, and it showed on Saturday. Holding Oregon to just 10 points, shut out at halftime, it was just a dominant win. Good for them. Utah kind of reminds me of uh, of Wisconsin, but with actual quarterback play. <laughs> if you remember, no, if you remember, their first, their two yeah. losses came before they benched their original starter for the year and brought in that's Cam true. Rising. Yeah, that's true. It's so they've had a big season turnaround. This is also why I want to see an expanded playoff. Yeah, because I feel like I feel like if we had an expanded playoff and they got in out of bids, yeah, they they could very they could potentially do something. Yeah, they could. They've won six in a row. They've gone, what is it, nine and one? They've gone nine and one since they benched their other quarterback yeah. and put in Cam Rising. I mean, they're they're coming along nicely. And it's not just that they're winning, it's how they're winning. To like to destroy top ten Oregon. I know we can laugh twice. at it now. Twice, but like it's crazy, dude. And again, their defense, I can't say enough good things about them. They just look so fierce out there, dude. It was fun to watch. Like it's fun to watch Utah's defense. And you can't say that about a lot of teams. Yeah. Um, also, this was their first Pac twelve championship. Uh, win is that? Correct? Oh, I did not know that. Congratulations! This is the first first Rose Bowl appearance as well. So a lot of firsts for Utah. Very cool to see. Wishing them the best of luck in the Rose Bowl. Obviously, I root for the Big Ten, but F Ohio State. So I'm rooting for Utah. <laughs> Speaking of firsts, uh, I know you got to watch a lot of the Cincinnati versus Houston game. I did. I did. You were busy watching Bama, but I turned off the Bama game to watch this one instead. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, I got to say, this was actually a pretty close game uh, at halftime. It was, uh, since he was only up 14 to 13, it was a very gritty defensive battle. Um, and in the third quarter, since he just, just lit it up, they, they, they dropped 21 points in the third quarter, looked completely electric. They were just hitting every ball, just juking on people, breaking legs, looking super aggressive and inspired. And at the end of the game, this was really cool. Um, the championship for the AAC was actually hosted by Cincinnati. It was It was at their home field. And so, you know, the game's over, and since he's a lock for the playoffs, and the entire student section and stands rushes the field, um, it was it was just so cool to see. Um, like, the post-game interviews with the coach, he looked so proud of his boys, you know, and, and the players are all fired up, and it's just the sea of people freaking out, having the time of their lives. Um, it, was, <clears throat> it was a really special sight to see, and one of those things that just makes college football so unique you know, this this one win for Cincinnati to, to make the playoffs, like, you can tell that this means, like, so much to the program and every single student that goes there. And even if they don't have a shot at ever winning the national title, especially against Bama, it's 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 fun to see. It's it's great for the sport to see. So I was so happy to find that. Yeah, congratulations to Cincinnati. I will be I will be looking at a lot of Cincinnati highlights in, <laughs> in the coming weeks just to just to see what we're up going up against. It'll be on. interesting. Um, Houston, the losers of this game, they deserve a lot of respect. They're they still a ranked team, 11-2 and two Houston. Um, they will be playing Auburn in the Birmingham Bowl, a game which I will be trying to go to since it's 20 minutes away from me. Wow. Big Houston yeah, fan. I'll be going, I'm going to trash talk Auburn in that game <laughs> by doing nothing more than just wearing Alabama gear to the game. That's all I have to do. I'm sure you won't be alone. Like, oh, this is an interesting bowl game you're at here. Uh, and a fact about Cincinnati that I think is really interesting is that they actually they're starting running back as a guy that transferred out of Alabama named really? Jerome Ford. I didn't know. Yeah, that. he's he's very talented. Yeah, he's a very talented running back. It's not like he had to transfer because of. I mean, he wouldn't have got as much playing time, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Especially this year, he would have gotten a lot. But he, when you have a crowded backfield, sometimes it just happens. You I get, get it, cycled yeah. out. Oh, I get it's it. okay. I get it. Yeah. He's had a very good year. He has, if I can pull up his stats very quickly. Please, pull them up, Brandy. He has 1,200 yards in the season and 19 touchdowns and a 6.2 average rush rush per carry. That's pretty good. So, very good stats. We could have actually very much used him this year, funnily <laughs> enough, with, how, with our injuries at running back. Yeah. But, hey, I'm happy for him. I'm happy that he was able to transfer to a team and not have to suffer with his, not as much success as – as he wouldn't have at Bama. Yeah. What's interesting with uh, Houston and Cincy with this game, I mean, these are two future Big 12 teams. <laughs> oh, know? that's true. And they're going to be top half the Big 12. They're going to be good. Like, and, like, that's the thing. Like, every, like I, I, I get it. Cincy's G5. But, like, really, it, it feels like the line is kind of blurred this year between G5 and P5, at least, at least with these few teams here. Um, the only thing that I will be interested in with teams like this is how are they going to respond playing a season's worth of – power five football because like 
at the end of the day, yeah, they might have a lot of talented players, but the measurables on Power 5 players, they're usually a couple inches taller at every position yeah. and 30 to 50 pounds bigger, more muscular sure. at every position. And those injuries will add up. It's true. Because you're going to get injured more often, you're going to be more tired, and you're going to have to really bring your A game. Because even if a team is quote-unquote bad but has talent, you never know what they're going to be able to do. LSU is a perfect example of that. when They almost beat us and almost beat A&M. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that said, though, Houston, since he being in the Big 12, will have, you know, way better access to recruiting long term. So I, I think these things will, you know, stabilize after a while. But I, I definitely could see a future where Houston and Cincinnati are both, like, kind of actually two of the premier programs in the Big 12, like after Oklahoma and Texas leave. Like, these could be the, the perennial contenders. It might, <laughs> it might take them a couple years. Uh, if you remember, it took Utah and TCU a couple years, two to three years. But, yeah, a few years to really yeah. catch up. But after they caught up, it was yeah, they were at up. the top of their conference. The thing is, they have as long as they have a good coach. I mean, that's that's a pretty big thing. And obviously, Fickle might leave, but I guess we'll talk about that later. But as long as Fickle's there, I think they'll be they'll be in good hands at Cincinnati. Um, speaking of good hands, this is not a good segue, but I think we got to talk about Baylor, Oklahoma State. That He's, game was so amazing. Game of the game of the year, maybe. I mean, that was just nuts. <laughs> I remember watching that game and really hoping Oklahoma State lost. And I know this is a loser mentality. <laughs> I remember really hoping they would lose. Like, okay, so if we lose to Georgia barely, maybe we can pull it together for the playoffs and this and that. <laughs> nope. So originally I was very happy. But the more it came on, I'm like, oh, it would have been, it would have been so interesting if Oklahoma State had won. I, simply because we have no idea what the committee would have wanted to do with Georgia. Yeah, I just I feel bad for Oklahoma State because they were literally like half a yard short from winning the Big Twelve, which would have been huge for the program. Forget playoffs he, for a moment; just think the winning oh, the Big Twelve. Man. You know, like that would have been big. That would have been huge for the program. I do feel very badly for them. I mean, that's part of football. I'm very happy for Baylor at the same time. True, Dave Aranda, great coach. I mean, I'm not not, not not surprised that he's gotten them in this position that quickly because, in my opinion, he's one of the most underrated coaches in all of college football, easily. One of the best defensive coordinators when he was at Wisconsin and at LSU. And, and Baylor's been able to hold on to him yeah. with all this coaching carousel going on. Yeah. I mean, fingers crossed. The Big 12 needs guys like Dave Aranda at this point. You know, they need really good coaches to kind of be an anchor for the program. Um, I'm not saying Baylor is going to be competing for titles anytime soon, but I, I think they could, again, establish themselves as a really legitimate threat um, in the college football landscape as long as Dave Aranda's around, as long as they keep their coach, right? That's kind of the key to all this. Um, one last P5 game I want to touch on, Pitt-Wake Forest. Any surprises there? A little bit. Wake Forest offense has been humming all year, and they only put up 21, and it was all in the first quarter. It was, yeah. It looked like they it was going to be a shootout for a while, but... <laughs> yeah, and then Wake Forest just couldn't do anything. I remember watching the fake slide by Katie oh, Pickett. Oh, beautiful. It was, okay, it was a beautiful play, but I do have to point out, uh. you know, that... No, it's no, no. It's a little bit dangerous. I, it is dangerous. Here's the thing. He's, you can only get away with that once, and then you're going to get hit well, hard the next is time. Is there you a try better time slide. to whip it out, though, than in the ACC championship? I mean, he waited. I mean, you got a point. You got a you point. Know. I don't even know if he meant to fake slide. I think he was like, gun- I think he actually was like going to slide, himself. but then saw how much space he had. And yeah. I don't like, think it changed his mind. I, I'd be curious. I'm sure he was interviewed with, about this. But yeah, what a, like, that's a move I've never seen before or had like even thought of. It was so cool. And the way he did it just looked so smooth. Effortless, yeah. Like It makes you think he practiced it, but you don't know. But yeah, I mean, Pitt, though, holy cow. Like, if you told me heading into the season that Pitt, freaking Pittsburgh, would be the ACC champion, I would have not believed you. I'd say this is probably the most shocking result of any conference champion of, of this year, at least with P5. Um, and yeah, 11-2 and Pitt. I just I don't even know what to say. Like that's just insane to me. Like they've had some great quarterback play from Kenny Pickett. Yeah, that's true. It's probably mostly his responsibility, right? That's the big reason why. Yeah, their defense hasn't been the best, and I mean they have an okay. They have okay talent surrounding him. I mean they're not an awful team that's just being propped up by him, yeah. but he's definitely worth a few a few wins here and there. I guess yeah. When you have like a future NFL quarterback on your team, it's it's hard not to win like that. Do you think? Do you think? Where would you put Kenny Pickett in this year's class? Like, would you say he's top five, top three quarterbacks of, of the so season? So it is a very weak. It's a weak quarterback class. It is overall. So he might be. Could he be the first quarterback taken? I could see it. Could be. I legitimately don't know who else would even go. Yeah, I don't, this is this is historically weak. It feels like, but it really is. No, it it has been called historically weak by even people like Mel. What is it, Mel Kiper? Yeah, <laughs> you can oh. trust him. 
Yeah, unfortunate news for the Lions, <laughs> but what can you do? Yeah. Um, I, I know there were other conference championships with G5s. Did you watch any of them by any chance? <laughs> I Honestly, not really. Yeah, I'll be honest. I didn't either. But let's just real quick, real quick, we got to give respect. Shouts out to UTSA, Meep Meep, beating Western Kentucky 49-41. to 41. Close game. Uh, Roadrunners are the champions. Happy for them. Um, Louisiana, Lafayette, we'll go yeah. ahead and touch on them real quick. Please. They are Texas's ranked win. <laughs> and they just they are twelve and one with their only loss being to Texas. I didn't realize Oklahoma that. has That's Yeah, crazy. and Oklahoma has zero ranked wins. Texas has one ranked oh. win, and this is it is the uh wow. Sunbelt champion Louisiana Raging Cajuns. They are number twenty three at twelve and one. So they had a really great season. Good for them. Congratulations uh, to them. And, uh, and another one, Northern yeah. Illinois. I want to bring up the Northern Illinois please, game. Please. They won the MAC championship. They are nine and four, and they went from winless to conference champions in one year. In crazy. one year turnaround, crazy. Which I think is crazy. That's I'm really happy for them. I know COVID played a probably big part in them going winless last year, but still, it's got to feel good. Yeah, uh, yeah. One last game, uh, with the Mountain West championship. Utah State dominated San Diego State. I was kind of surprised actually. I did not watch this, but seeing the final score surprised me. They won forty six to thirteen. Insane. Yeah, they, that surprised me too. Utah yeah. State has been has had a few down years recently. Yeah. I know they had some weird coaching situations with people like Gary Anderson, who uh, yep, you know, yeah. we know, we ex know. Wisconsin coach. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like San Diego State, we were like talking about them. I know a few weeks back, saying how they were like eleven and one, like pretty legit ranked team. To to lose by this much was shocking, but yeah, they have multiple Power Five wins: mm-hmm. Arizona, Utah. Pac-12, dude. Yeah, Pac-12 uh, is a weird conference. It is a weird conference. But yeah, shouts out to Utah State. Um, one one final game, one final game we have to talk about. Cal defeated USC 24-14. Lincoln L- Riley's Lincoln first Riley, game, right? his first loss. I, I know he wasn't coaching. But <laughs> you think he's already on the hot seat? I, yeah, he's got to be. It literally hasn't won a single game there. I mean, come on. But uh, yeah, USC is 4-8. This is just a good like time stamp, I think, to keep in mind that USC is 4-8. And, and so... I think it's safe to say they're not going to be in the playoffs next year. You can hold me accountable on that. You can quote me on that if you want. But, like, I, Lincoln Riley has a, like, he's inherited a mess. He, he really has. And I think it's going to be kind of hard for him to just turn it around overnight. It's not going to be as it easy as it was in Oklahoma. We'll talk about him in a second. But for now, since we've recapped all these games, I would like to go into the Heisman talk. Oh, and yes. You know I want to. Yes, yes. I, I hate to say this, Randy. But I think I know where you're going with this. It. And I, uh, you do. I, I probably agree with you at this point. And it, it kills me to say it, but I probably agree with you. Spit it out. Bryce Young, I think he 100% locked up the Heisman this weekend. He had a Heisman performance, and he had multiple Heisman moments. Yeah. 421 yards, four touchdowns, zero turnovers against what people were calling potentially the greatest of all time of defense. All time. And for time. the record... For the record, we're not the people that allowed this narrative to happen. No, we didn't create this narrative. It was all the neutral fans yep. that were talking that were talking up Georgia's defense. The casuals, how great they were, how great Jordan Davis is, and look, all respect to them. I'm not trying to diss Georgia, but when you talk about how they're the greatest defense of all time and they have that potential, and then the Heisman front runner goes and puts 421 yards and four touchdowns on them and wins the game by scoring mm-hmm. 41 points. Mm-hmm. You, you kind of did it to yourself. You did. They were asking for it. But, you were uh, asking for this to happen. I hate to say it. He Bryce, he's, got a, he's got ice in his veins. Here, here's what I like about him. Please. He's got a clutch gene. And mm-hmm. I love stats, but stats need context. They do. And with Bryce, he always comes up big when you need him to. The Auburn game, for example – there were some really bad offensive line plays, so it really wasn't his fault. But when he needed to step up, he did. That last drive. In this game, yeah. when we needed him to play his best game of his career, he did. Yeah, sure enough. So, like, he has his, he has the stats. He has, like, the Heisman moment. Um, the only real competition I thought that could kind of give him a run for his money was C.J. Stroud, but he totally nope. flopped in that Michigan game. Like, that was his real chance quick. to have a Heisman moment, but... Real quick, I'm gonna I'm gonna give off his season stats. Forty three hundred passing yards, which is fourth. Forty three total touchdowns to four interceptions. He is second most in total touchdowns behind Bailey Zappi of Western Kentucky. Yeesh. So he has had some. He's had a great year, to he, say the least. He has. He has. And yeah, like I said, Stroud. I mean, Stroud had the chance there. I think had Stroud beaten Michigan and you know dominated against Iowa, it would be a different conversation. But 
it's just not the reality we're living in. I think at this point, it's pretty much it's pretty much a lock. I, I do want to give Stroud some credit because he actually played a great game versus Michigan. It was really his defense that let him down. Fall with Bryce, it was his offensive line that was letting him down in the yeah. game. And there was, I mean, as a quarterback, he can't single-handedly win the game. No, it's I, just, I, I get that. It's I a team that. sport. But I mean, at the end of the day, these things matter. And he did have that really kind of not so great game versus Oregon. He started off the season kind of slow. Yeah. Um, that said, though, were there any other, like, literally any other players on your radar who at least will be, like, invited to the ceremony, you think? I saw a lot of talk about Aiden Hutchinson, so I will go ahead and bring him up. He had 14 sacks on the year, 58 total tackles. It was really hard to find his tackles for lost stat. I don't think he has nearly as many as Will Anderson, but I, you know, <laughs> I, I saw him mentioned a lot, so I wanted to give him his due respect. I do love Will Anderson, and I know I'm biased. But a lot of neutrals are talking him. A lot of neutrals are talking about him as well. Yeah. He had 15 and a half sacks on the season, 33 and a half tackles for loss on the season. Wow. And 91 total tackles on the season for Will Anderson. It's wild. He he's we call him the Terminator for a reason. Uh Randy, your thoughts on Kenneth Frodker third <laughs> and his chances? Man, he People keep saying he's having a record-shattering season, but what records has he shattered? Seriously. He hasn't broken any records. So you you brought up – I actually agree 100% with some points you brought up in our private messages, which was about Wisconsin running backs. That's true. And what was it? Melvin Gordon in 2014, Gordon, he had 1,100 less yards, 11 <laughs> or 12 less touchdowns, and Melvin Gordon finished third in the Heisman. And people want to act like Kenneth Walker should finish, could, should win it, and he would be robbed if he didn't. Because look at how he did compared to the preseason expectations of all these no-name sports writers. It's like, come on. Yeah. And it's like, come on. It's not about what you potentially could do. It's about what you did what do. What actually happened. Yeah. I mean, just it's in the Big Ten, you're always going to have at least one or two runners who are putting up insane stats, right? It's, it's a run-heavy conference. I just think Michigan State, like, they've really been pushing this narrative of, like, little old Michigan State lately. And it's kind of peeved me, to be honest, because they have, like, a billionaire donor who just paid $100 million to keep their coach in town. And this whole narrative of Michigan State being the scrappy underdog, the, you know, the lunch pail kids who just come in and work really hard and stuff, there might be some truth to that. But really, at the end of the day, they're still a, a very premier program. And a guy like Kenneth Walker coming in and putting up these yards isn't shocking. It's not you know sur- surpassing expectations. If that's your metric, your litmus test is, well, he kind of came in here out of nowhere. And no one, no one can believe you put up 1,600 yards. Well, well, I can. 1,600 yards in the Big Ten isn't that crazy. I'm sorry. It's good. It, it deserves a round of applause. It doesn't deserve a Heisman, though. And so Exactly. I, I, that's, I, that's exactly where I'm at. Yeah. So I don't know, man, like I, I, I've seen many Wisconsin running backs put up more yards than this and get less attention and less claim. So maybe Jonathan I'm just not Taylor, <laughs> Jonathan Taylor had three seasons where he had more touchdowns or more yards or more yards per carry than mm-hmm. Kenneth Walker. Three total seasons in each individual season. He surpassed those metrics yeah. and never did he even get invited to the not once, not once, despite, despite having the sixth highest total rushing yards in college history, most ever by someone in just three seasons. Um, and didn't he, doesn't he hold the, uh, what is it? The single game rushing record? No, that's Melvin Gordon. <laughs> oh, no, the other guy who didn't win the highest. He had, he had 408 had yards. He had 408 yards against Nebraska. I was there. It was, one of the best days of my life. Um, <laughs> listen, I, I'm not trying to just stroke my ego with Wisconsin, but like I said, just really with, with the Big Ten in general, like it's a rushing conference. I'm sorry. Like we're going to have good running backs across the board. And nothing about Kenneth Walker strikes me as being particularly unique. It's it's just branding. It's good branding by Michigan State. I guess hats off for that. Uh, but I'll stay on no substance. That's my take. I, I know this is a hot take, but... That's what we're here for, Andy. And Let's face it. Here's the thing. <laughs> I, I wanna I wanna finish this. We're not trying to disrespect Kenneth Walker. He is a great talent. Smart and I know man. Michigan State's supposed to have a down year and he really kind of carried them in a lot of ways. But you just have to be realistic and not put more expectations on somebody than what they really have. That's fair. You know? I can lay off the haterade for a second and agree with that. But And with Bryce Young, I know a lot of people talk about doing more with less. Mm-hmm. I know we're Alabama. <laughs> But Bryce Young has accomplished that this year. Our number one wide receiver, our best wide receiver, is a guy who had to transfer out of Ohio State because he was their wide receiver four. And we have we're down to one scholarship running back that's healthy. 
And he's the guy who almost got killed in a car wreck and his hip is still messed up. Jeez. So, I mean, I know we have a lot of talent, but you can't just use the excuse that it's Bama. Anybody could do this. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's fair. Um, but yeah, it seems pretty much locked up at this point. Bryce Young, I, I'll assume we'll be winning it. Um, oh, I'm so excited. It's the first ever Alabama quarterback to win it. Yeah, yeah. This is what, your fourth in the last 10 years? Less than that? Uh, 11. 12, 11 years, 12 I apologize. Years. 12 yeah. years. Yeah, get it right. Yeesh. I mean, the thing is, why I'm not mad necessarily is like, it feels like someone else could have stepped up. Someone else in, on any other team like could have had a pretty solid year and won it. But it just feels like all these other contenders like Kenneth Walker and, and CJ Stroud just kind of like choked near the end of the year in these big games. You know, obviously Kenneth Walker choked against Ohio State, had a terrible performance. CJ Stroud couldn't get it done against Michigan. And it's just like there's really no one else you can point at that really poses a serious threat at this point. You know, you need to win in November. That's when it counts. And that's exactly I admit- what Grayson did. I admit that it is a weak Heisman year, mm-hmm. but all things considered, I, it's his to lose. And I mean, at the end of the day, what is the Heisman really besides a college football MVP award? If you look at the NFL MVPs, mm-hmm. 99 times out of 100, it's, it's a quarterback. It's, a, it's always a quarterback. I'd like to see a running back. I'd like to, I was happy when a wide receiver won last year because I think that's giving the due diligence that's needed. But uh, nope. yeah, this year for sure, it's, it's certainly a quarterback. I think that's fair. All right. Are you ready to talk about the uh, coaching carousel? I am, Randy. I the, my only question for you is, where do we even begin? Do we start with Lincoln Riley? Should we go chronologically here? <laughs> let's let's start with Lincoln Riley. I feel like Lincoln Riley was the first domino yeah, to fall. Yeah. That made that might have that might have convinced other coaches to take certain opportunities. I might have that. motivated them a little bit. Lincoln Riley to USC. I'll be honest, I think this is actually a good move for <laughs> Oklahoma. What? Oh, for Oklahoma. I, don't know. I was going to say for him. I don't know about him. But for Oklahoma. Well, it's a good move for him. It may be a good move for USC, and I think it is a good move for Oklahoma. I think this will work out all the way around. Mm-hmm. But there's just something about Lincoln Riley that I really don't like. I've heard rumors really? about him losing the locker room in this past, this past year, past couple of years, and him coasting off, coasting off the uh, culture that Bob Stoops built. Yeah. I've yep. heard rumors about that. I don't know how true they are. I'm not too tapped into Oklahoma sports. Well, um, I mean, one thing know. that was kind of funny yeah. was, you know, the reports of, of him not wanting to be in the SEC, and that's why he left. Right. During college game day, uh, Georgia and Alabama fans chanted SEC, SEC, really, really loudly during his interview. I saw. And it was so loud that they had to cut the audience mic. And you could <laughs> tell Lincoln Riley had this facial expression of, oh, God. They're I'll, roasting me for this. I'll say this. I, I'm sure that played some factor into his decision, but ultimately, I, I've thought about this. I feel like the number one reason he left, it was just money. They they made him an offer he can't refuse. And it kind of I think it's about me. money. I think it's also about money. I think that's a part of it. And I think, like, he's going to have an easier job at USC. He's the premier program. It's super easy to recruit. I mean, he can, what, win nine, ten games a year, <sighs> win the know? pack, and can he's he secure. Know? The thing is, like, they want more than that now, though. Like, they're paying him enough where he should be competing for titles. Like, his expectations seemingly are higher than ever. And you know, like, how, you know how we talk about West Coast football fans? How they're so casual, where they don't even care if they lose. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, honestly, I mean, okay, I joke and meme a little bit about that, but I think there is some truth to it. To where he's not going to be rode as hard for certain losses. I mean, Clay Helton had a pretty long leash. I, I suppose. Um... I, I don't know. It's just, it, to me, like, things seem a little bit different with this hire. You know what I mean? Like, it, just with the money involved, with this big of a name. You know, Clay Helton, let's face it, wasn't a big name. Like like Lincoln Riley is, right? And I think when when a team is hiring someone of this caliber, of this sort of tier, they're expecting results, and they're expecting results fast. And I think, like, if he does struggle and doesn't, you know, get them to a playoff within three or four years, I, I think he's going to be in the hot seat. And... This whole idea of the West Coast fans not caring, that might be true. The fans themselves might not care, but the administration, the boosters, they care. And I think that's going to be the the biggest problem that he faces uh, over at USC. At the end of the day, I think boosters are just fans with money. So, <laughs> I think, I think, so? I think no, I think they the fans will represent how the boosters feel too, to a, to a certain extent. And it's one of those things, Lincoln Riley... He doesn't really seem to have like this killer instinct that a coach needs to have. I agree. That like Saban has. And he's just so casual and emotionless in a way that's just like, 
I don't know. I just don't want my coach to seem disinterested. Yeah. Like, just because he's young, people assume he has all his energy, but he's so, like, low energy in every interview you ever see of him and on the sidelines. Doesn't it feel like that? Yeah, that's exactly how I see it. Um, and there was a quote that Harbaugh had about some people start on third base and yeah. think they hit a triple. Yeah. And I think that's somewhat applicable to his tenure oh, at absolutely. Oklahoma. He had and I don't, I don't, yeah. we don't know. We don't, I'm not saying he's a bad coach. No. He's a good coach. He was able to still succeed and make the playoffs and win the Big 12 multiple times with what he had. But at the end of the day, it's different building a program exactly. than it is to maintain a program. Exactly. And, I, like, let's face it, he was given the keys to the car already going at full speed. I mean, like, Bob Stoops, hats off to him. He left Oklahoma in an incredibly healthy spot, in, in a great position, right? And I, I in my mind – I. Again, I'm not saying that Riley's a bad coach, but a lot of guys could do what Riley did at Oklahoma, in my opinion. It, it takes a totally different skill set to to come to a program that's in shambles, which USC is in shambles, and rebuild them. And I, maybe he will, but we don't know that for sure if Riley has that you know uh, capability. So that's where I'm just like, I, I really don't know if this is the rock star hire that uh, you know USC thinks this might be. Like, I get it, he's a big name, but. Just, just look a little bit more into it. That's all I'm saying. Where these West Coast football hires, they love to hire young, yeah. good-looking, <laughs> tall, skinny coaches. Like, I mean, that fits that West Coast vibe, does he it does. not? They like he to does. have like that. We're we're Los Angeles, we're Hollywood. Chill, good-looking. I'm not yeah. saying he's a he's a. I mean, <laughs> we're discussing. Yeah, you know what I mean, though. Like, yeah, they want to hire for college football coaches. Like he he looks like an actor. Yeah, he's one of the better-looking college football coaches. Young, yeah, good shape. Yeah. <laughs> I think uh, I believe on the same day that this happened, or maybe the day after, Brian Kelly was announced yeah. he was going to LSU. Shocking! Shock. And the it was funniest a- thing. Yeah. Oh my God! So in his first, uh, or in his first introductory at the basketball game, the LSU basketball game, when he had the fake Southern accent. Yep. yep. Oh God, that yep. was so cringe. Tell me, Randy, as a Southerner, <laughs> was it? Did, was there yourself. any truth to it? Like, we don't it care. Decent, you don't have to try to fit in. You don't have to try to fit in like that. Just be yourself. Be authentic. We pre- <laughs> we like pretty much any other human being in the world. Just appreciate you being yourself. You don't have to try to be something you're not. Yeah. Don't try to be something you're not. Because when you try to be something you're not, that's how you get your ass ran out of town in the SEC. Yeah. Yeah, that's I, why that's why all these SEC coaches really fail. I believe it's because they try to be something that they're not. Right, right. I I agree across the board. And as far as this hire goes, dude, yeesh. This just seems it just seems so obviously unexpected. But beyond that, it, it feels like like after Brian Kelly left, like to see all the other Notre Dame staff, like assistants and coordinators and stuff, and players all stay at Notre Dame. I think says a lot about Brian Kelly. That they're they're in for the program and not him. Whereas with with Riley, I mean, recruits were leaving left and right. They were leaving, transferring from Oklahoma to go to USC, right? Because they like Riley at least. With Brian Kelly, it it just seems like this guy is just like a toxic in the locker room or something. Like that's kind of the vibe I'm getting here. Is is this sound at all accurate to you? No, I, I completely see what you're saying, and we've heard we've heard inklings behind the scenes of that Brian Kelly might be kind of a might be kind of an asshole, yeah, and not fun to work for, not enjoyable to be around. And if you remember, there was the story of Matt Lafleur talking about how yes. he was a grad assistant under him in 2005, 2004, yep. uh, at Central Michigan, and he said he was invited by Brian Kelly to a party, and when he got there, it was he wasn't on the guest list; he was on the <laughs> worker list. And they had him shoveling snow and valeting cars all night in a bait and switch. Yep. And that's just, I understand earning your stripes, but earning your stripes isn't doing unpaid labor for your boss in the middle of the night yeah. in the freezing cold in northern Michigan, central Michigan. You know, it's, that's just a little, that's just, you shouldn't treat your subordinates that way. And I just think it paints a bigger picture of how he may or may not treat people behind right. the scenes. Uh, I and think, I think that's important. And yeah. the fact that nobody came with him from Notre Dame to LSU. Yes. It, it, it almost like that confirms some suspicions I had, but I don't want to say too much without seeing what really happens. Yeah, I, I get that. I get that. We're on the outside looking in, right? We don't know. We're not actually in the rooms and, and seeing these things. But, yeah, like, I really think that says it all, though. The fact that uh, Marcus Freeman, their defensive coordinator, stayed and is now their new head coach at Notre Dame. Says a lot. Did you see that introductory press yes. conference, and the, by the, the way? The or response that the kids him. had. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, the kids love him, right? 
that that says it all in my mind, <laughs> you know. So I don't know, man. Brian Kelly's having a weird week. Like I get it, he got paid, but it feels like everyone hates him at this point. <laughs> oh yeah, and I remember. So I've watched a few interviews of him, and they ask him like, "Why did you? Well, give us this reason. This is your chance. This is your platform to really speak about why you chose yeah. this opportunity." Yeah. And he always gave this weird run around without giving any concrete reasons other than i just thought maybe it was the good opportunity something something like that and yeah. it he basically made it obvious saying without saying that i have a 95 million dollar contract and 95 percent of that is guaranteed yep yep so it's unfortunate hey. that you can't just say yep i'm here for the money <laughs> you know because that, that'd be honest at least you know because when he's saying this crap like you know i'm coming here to win a to compete for national titles. It's like, dude, Notre Dame is competing as well. Like, they literally almost made the playoffs this year. They like, were an Alabama loss away from yeah. making it. And I, I get he's going to have a little bit of an easier time recruiting at LSU. Sure, I get that. He'll have an easier time being in the SEC and not, you know, actually having a actually having a conference championship is going to help. I get that. But, like, let's be honest. That's not the reason he's here. He's here because of $95 million. <laughs> oh, know? yeah. Well, technically, ninety only $90 million of that is guaranteed. Oh, my, my, my apologies. Um, that's and last point on him. Yeah, go for last it. point on him, Jimbo. You're from Wisconsin, the Upper Midwest. Could you imagine if you fired Paul Christ and the new guy comes into his introductory press <laughs> conference and he's like, he's like, oh, let me just sneak right past wait, you wait. to the podium, man. Eh? Oh, 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 like I went down to the Culvers <laughs> and I went down to the Culvers and had me some good old fashioned cheese curds to tell you what. I'm so let me just figure oh, out yeah, this I'm offense. So, I'm so happy to be here in the great state of Wisconsin. Just, just. I couldn't so do a good Midwestern accent. Thank you. <laughs> I know it's tough. I know, but yeah, I know what you mean. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> like, and it's they, a guy that's like from South Louisiana. Yeah, that. deep Southern accent. He's trying to hide it. Coach O was up there doing that. It's just, I can't, like this felt like a sketch from The Office or something. Like this is something Michael <laughs> Scott would do. <laughs> you know, it's exactly. just so ridiculous. And this is your introduction. <laughs> like this is the first time you're seeing the public. And this, it's the first impression. Yeah. Exactly. It was oh hilarious. God. I'm just wondering Maybe if he's this is going to end disastrously. <laughs> yeah. It's going to end either disastrously, disastrously, yeah. or if he wins, all of this will be forgotten about. I, I, I'm curious, like, if he's going to keep up the Southern accent, like, moving forward, like in in you know post game press conferences and surely stuff. Surely not. You know? Just come on. <laughs> surely not. <laughs> LSU fans, from what I can tell, LSU fans do not care. Yeah, they just they're like whatever. Right. Okay, whatever, just win. I don't care. And I, I think that's the mentality you gotta have if you're an LC fan, because <laughs> you don't you don't want the circus. And I think the circus will die down over time. But yeah, obviously, like when LSU does inevitably lose and Brian Kelly's at fault, you know people are gonna just come back to this like relentlessly and and justifiably so because this is kind of his legacy at this point. Yeah, um, it absolutely is. He's sixty years old, nine year contract. Geez, this is it. Sixty years old, dude. That said, do you think he's gonna win? I mean, I I'm seeing these sports analysis like Colin Coutard and stuff like just very very confidently implying that LSU is gonna be winning a title in two or three years I I don't know if I buy that dude I really don't I hate to say it I really hate to say it but I can see him winning pretty quickly because the thing is he's He's a a great coach he's been in the playoffs though and has sucked he's been in national title games and has sucked like he doesn't he hasn't had the same level of talent and he's had to do it with a far shorter leash too I just I don't know if the talent's the issue I guess that's kind of my my uh my view on this one because Notre Dame I I get it I get that there's a difference between Notre Dame and LSU in terms of talent, but it's not it's not that big it's not it's not big enough to justify every single playoff loss every single time he's choked I just don't buy it. Here's the thing, I've talked to you about this and how a lot of these SEC coaches that get fired it's not that necessarily they have unreasonable expectations mm-hmm. is that they already don't like the person and they find an excuse to run him out of town. <laughs> And I could 100% kind of seeing that situation happen if he doesn't quickly have yeah. a lot of unfilled success. Within a year or two. Seeing like, oh, yeah. this guy's an asshole, and he's very cringe, so let's yeah. run him off. <laughs> I think let's it, run him off. As soon as he has nine wins, he's he's gone. I was going to say, if he doesn't have ten wins in year two, he's fired. Just straight up. I don't know. I wouldn't say that. It depends on – I wins, wouldn't say that. It I'll depends say. on how he looks. Well, I, I, I just – I feel like LSU – I mean, they literally fired Coach O, who won them a title <laughs> – the that was that, that was for on the field performance, but it was also not for on the field performance. I just feel like Ellis, I want to say they've lucked into these, but this, they had some really fortunate circumstances to win a few of these titles, specifically with Coach O. Bama had a down year with an injured Tua. Like that's really the reason they won it. I'm sorry, but it's hey, true. it's that Cajun voodoo, man. It's the Cajun voodoo, know. and like if you're, a, it's just like 
they they have this they, they assume they're going to win a title in two years because they're always like well the last three LSU coaches have won a title it's like that to me it's just coincidence at this point like I don't I don't buy that there's something special with this program because when they're not winning a title they're going eight and four. Well, like, the thing with LSU, the thing with LSU is that they have so much in-state talent that they really should have a second Power Five program in the state, it's like Ohio. Yeah, yeah, it's like Ohio, and they they have like and it's and the thing is like for people that grow up in Louisiana, playing for LSU is like the ultimate childhood dream. Yeah. So they they have built-in recruiting pipelines, no matter who the coach is. Yeah, I get that. I it's get just that that's just how it is for them. I, I I get that. It's just it feels like LSU is either like a glass cannon and is like winning the title and just killing everyone. Or they're just really falling apart and having like a seven, five, eight and four season. That's disappointing. There's like no in between with LSU, dude. I swear. It's like, it's one or the other. No, I I get what you're saying. That's very true. And the thing is, if it's not that glass cannon, we're winning the national title thing with Kelly. I I think he's going to have a real short leash. I think he's not going to have a lot of, a lot of time to kind of get his own guys in there and and really. Hey, hey, I think, I think it's very true. They're going to say, Hey, you win, You know how to win games. We've seen you win games. We're going to give you a chance to win games and embrace you for who you are for now. But if you don't win games, we're going to run your ass out of town. Yep. So I'll save yep. wins, dude. It's all save all right. Speaking of glass cannons, please. Chris DeBall to Miami. Oh, that was good. That was a good transition. <laughs> I, I thought when I heard glass cannon, I oh, thought wow. the Miami football program uh, and this, Chris DeBall to an extent. This was just like sad in a way, but like I'm also not sad. So here's the thing, like Oregon, right? They're, they're such an easy team to make fun of because they are this, like, fashion brand. Phil Knight, you know, basically owning the team and everything. I'm just shocked that, like, he would leave them to Miami, though, because it feels like Oregon. I, I, I get it. They're not great, per se, but they're 10-3. They, they just competed in the Pac-12 championship. I, I don't know how you would leave that program, like, the premier program in the Pac-12 to go to Miami. Who's in the dumps right now, by the way. Like, I, I get historically Miami's probably a better program, like Blue Blood, you know what I mean? But at the moment... There's man, there's yeah. a lot of factors with it. No, I get what you're saying. I agree. I think there's a lot of factors to it. And it's that, first of all, I mean, he's going home. He's from Miami. That's he went fair. to the U. Yeah. So, that, I mean, that's part of it. He, the AD is coming in, and I feel like he's going to have a lot of influence with things, a lot of say. Mm-hmm. They've shown a financial commitment to the program, so he's like, okay, I can really build something here. And also, Miami is in such a fertile recruiting ground in an ACC that's looking more wide open with Clemson stumbling a little that's bit true. with Venables leaving. That's true. I feel like he sees a lot of potential with the program. And, I and I mean, I get it. I get it. It's, it's, it's hard to say no when mama Money. calls, right? Money. Yep, yep. Well, I mean, money's part of it, but I really think this is more about him coming home. I feel like he wanted to find an excuse to go to Miami. That is fair. That said, Oregon, though, it's just, like, it's just shocking because, like, Oregon, man, when I, like, first really started watching college football, like, my first year I really committed to the sport was 2012, my freshman year. Oregon at that time was an extremely premier program. I mean, they were competing. They had just competed in the national title. They made the playoffs a few years later, won the Heisman with uh, Marcus Mariota. And we're consistently one of the top four, top five teams in the nation. And you look at all the money being poured into them with their uniforms and Nike and Phil Knight and all this stuff. It, it felt like they have so just so much going for them that it's shocking that they hadn't won a national title yet. And to see like their coach leave them, a, a pretty good coach, mind you, like a pretty decent coach for the, for the program, leave them for Miami. It's just, I don't know, man. Like what, what the hell is going on in Oregon right now? I, I don't think. Bad. I mean, I literally think it's more about him it's, wanting it's to just, go home than anything. It's just that. I, I hope it's. I just really. That. The Oregon's going to be fine. Look here. So Manny Diaz was even interviewed about it today, just mm-hmm. before we started recording. Yeah. And he was asked about the Oregon job, and he said, "There's three top ten classes right there on the roster, and they're all puppies. Their best football is in front of them, and I think that's really what it boils down to. They have Phil Knight, Nike money. Yeah. They have great recruiting talent. They, they usually have a great. high talent composite. They've been recruiting. They're great. in a fine position. It's still Oregon, and they're still probably the second richest Pac-12 team. <laughs> I think they're going to be fine. Yeah, I hope. I'm not are. really worried about Oregon. I hope they're. Yeah, because that's going to really be that's going to be right. Lincoln Riley's competition for the Pac. Yeah, yeah. They they need we the Pac-12 needs more teams that are good, you know, to actually boost up USC in a way. They need those quality wins. They need those big, you know, the type of game that draws in college game day and, and gets a big audience, right? They need that to, exactly. to succeed. So, yeah, we'll see what happens there with Oregon. I mean, obviously they can probably hire just about anyone with the money they have, but Cristobal had something going there. I really liked him there. 
One thing is that I'm not happy about is us in Georgia really are not happy about him going to Miami because he's always been known as a phenomenal recruiter. He was a great recruiter when he was at Alabama. He was our best recruiter on staff. And then at Oregon, he got them from having top 15 classes to top five recruiting classes. So he is a great recruiter. And now he's in Miami, which is where us in Georgia get a ton Mm, of our talent. So uh, that's a little (laughs) thorn in our side. But hey, it is what it is. It's part of the game. Just don't start. Miami being down was very good for our programs. That's true. They have been down for forever, man. It looked for a while like they might be back with Mark Richt. But they had that one good year, which ended, of course, with Wisconsin beating them in the Orange Bowl. And just have (laughs) fallen apart since then. Like, I don't... Miami's like this like sleeping giant like it feels like they have the potential to be a really 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 good team right because they have all those recruits right there they have all this talent in their backyard and who knows maybe Cristobal will be the guy that like just can bring them home and you know actually finally compete for the ACC and maybe even the playoffs who knows at another note you know who I feel bad for is Manny Diaz he wasn't even fired yet when all this was going down But I also, on, on one hand, I kind of don't feel bad for him because if you remember a few years ago, he was hired by Temple to be their head coach. Mm. And the same day he was hired, he left for Miami because they hired him out and they paid the buyout. Yeesh. So he left them cold in the dust like that. So I, I kind of like, as, as cruel as the treatment of him was, I mean, he kind of had it coming. He was not ready to be a head coach at that level, it's but he had to because, again, it was yeah. it was home for him, but he had just signed the Temple contract right. literally the same day. And, like, Miami's not terrible, but they had, like, what, a 7-5 and five season? It's like, eh, they were decent yeah, he last didn't do, year. He, he wasn't fireable bad, but... I, mean, I, I get it. If you have Cristobal coming in, it's a much... It's an upgrade. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. But, yeah, so... Oof. Uh, one last thing with this giant cycle here. Venables to OU. Thoughts on this? Do you think he's a good fit? I think he's a good fit. I, I think he'll be fine. I think he knows how to build the team he needs to to win, at least the Big 12. I mean, they're not going to be in the Big 12 anymore. True. True. Um, I think it'll be interesting. He's got Jeff Levy from Ole Miss, who we know is a decent enough coordinator. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I mean, I could see it working out. It'll be, uh, it'll be good. It's like, hard to see. Like, he's obviously proven himself as one of the best defensive coordinators in college football. Like, that's there's no denying that. And I'm sure they'll have a good defense at OU. Uh, immediately with him in there. But the thing is, like, he's never been a head coach before, has he? He's only been a coordinator. Am I he's not, and that's why it's hard to really know what we're getting with him. Yeah, I could see, I could see a Kirby you. Smart comparison. Mm, go on. And I say that because I could see him. I mean, he's not going to want to rock the boat too much. He's going right. to take. He's not going to take a lot of risks, especially early on. Right. He's going to do enough to win you double-digit games, mm-hmm. but it might be hard for him to get over that hump. Right. Yeah, a little bit. And I think as a coordinator going to a head coach in the Power Five, you kind of have to do that. I I get that, especially at a program like OU. I think an important thing is did you say Ole Miss is like, who's their offensive coordinator with all this? Um, Ole Miss is a new one? No, sorry. You said you mentioned Ole Miss in Europe. Who's the new one? Oh, Jeff Levy. Okay. It was Jeff Levy from Ole Miss is who he hired. Okay. I was going to say, they need a good offense. They they really will need a good offense, I think, because Venables obviously has never coached offense before. And I think that's going to be an adjustment period. I don't know if he's going to be calling plays or what, but yeah, it's it'll be interesting to see because obviously there is always some growing pains from being an, an assistant, you know, or like a, a coordinator to becoming a head coach. It's one thing to do that at a smaller program, like a G5 or like a, you know, a more less prestigious P5 program, but to be, to be thrust into Oklahoma <laughs> with all these expectations and heading into the SEC soon, I just, I, I feel it's going to be a lot of pressure for him. You know what I mean? Like there might be a few more growing pains than people expect. I could see there being some growing pains. I mean, it's it's, it's so hard to judge. Yeah. Oklahoma fans, from what I can tell, are already just... They love them. How do I put this? They're already over the moon about it. They're calling it an upgrade from Lincoln Riley. <laughs> I don't know about that. And they're that. already throwing these insane expectations uh, on That's the problem. Season. That's the problem. Because if he goes like 9-3, and three, they could be freaking out. They're going to run him off. <laughs> yeah, and the well, It's not even that they're going to run him off immediately. It's that they're going to put... They're going to already put him on the hot seat for going 9-3, and that's going to yeah. make him coach differently than yes. what he's comfortable coaching. Yes. They're not going to give him time to build it his way. Yeah. Because he, with defensive coaches, it takes them longer to build a program than yeah. offensive coaches. Yeah. Offensive coaches can typically come in, have their offensive scheme, just put skill position guys where they need to be, right. and win you some games just by outscoring people. Yeah. 
defensive coaches, it takes time to instill that tough culture that is required in defensive-minded football teams to win games. I agree. So, yeah, give them time. It's, that's that's the thing. I just don't know if Oklahoma's going to give them that time. <laughs> the same is true for LSU, for USC. I think that's a common theme with this episode, and that's what I'm talking about here, which is it seems like so many programs would have just such insane lofty expectations. And I'm, I'm partially at fault for this. I was sending you Snapchats saying we need to fire Paul Christ after losing to Minnesota. <laughs> so, like, I, I get it, but on the other hand, like, the following day, I was able to calm down and be like, "Okay, maybe we shouldn't. Maybe we shouldn't fire." Maybe him. you should. I mean, who who are you gonna get? That's better. <laughs> well, Jim Leonard, but I know what you mean. To, I know what you mean. To be fair, to be fair, Paul Chris, did you have have you one game away from the playoff? And that's, I don't think any other true. Wisconsin coach has gotten you that close. That's true. That's true. It's like he has a high ceiling, but also a eh, kind of shaky floor. You know what I mean? It's like we're yeah, I get what you're that. saying. <laughs> wow. Um, wow. This has been a long episode, Randy. Any other coaching hires, talks, thoughts? I really think that's this? it. We had Billy Napier to Florida, which I think that's going to be interesting. Yeah, I don't think it's going to work out, but that's just par for the course. That's, that's kind of how I see it. I feel like they just don't have a contingent. They're, like a, they're like waiting a, a for the stars to align like it did for USC or for LSU. I, I think that's kind of like they're like, okay, we'll try it for three years and then fire you. And just They're, they're going to have him until they find their guy. That's kind of how I'm looking at at this point. Exactly, exactly. And I, and here's the thing. I've noticed a lot of G5 coaches that make the P5 jump are unable to make that jump for Scott whatever Frost. reason. Scott Frost, yeah. Scott Frost. Uh, I mean, we even see it with coaches like Brady Hoke. It's just mm-hmm. so common. It's different. It's just a different game. Like we, This we, is a completely different game and how you have to recruit, how you have to talk to the media, the pressure you're going to feel for, make, for experimenting with different schemes and whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah, I mean, oh, that said, I guess just kind of like final thoughts on all of this. I am getting... This is probably the craziest coaching carousel yeah. I've seen. And I, I get COVID probably played a little role because there may be a little less hires or firings last season. So it's, it's almost like early recruiting Early signing period. It's about the early signing period, 100%. They yes. need to move that from December to August. Yeah. I, I've, that I've, would fix all of this. I've heard a lot of takes about this. Like, college football is becoming more and more about money. <laughs> like, I know it's always been about money, but it's it's never felt this this important and this um, within the blueprint and DNA of college football. No, I I get what you mean. I mean, at the end of the day, it was always about money, but it's, it's so much about the money now that it's almost like there, it ramps up the pressure to an extreme degree. It does. And it's, it's just like, I wonder, man, with like, (laughs) you look at the NFL, they have so many like rules and regulations in place for things like, you know, preventing malicious things going on with like players leaving teams for other coaches and like, you know, like the NCAA has nothing in place like to prevent guys from Oklahoma who were were recruited to Oklahoma suddenly all leaving ship and going to USC. Like that's totally fair game and totally fine in the NCAA world. Um, exactly. You know? I think the NCAA is in way over their head when it comes to trying to regulate and any of this. We really need, need a college football commissioner. Yeah. We need because something. here's the thing: the NCAA. It's NCAA, at the end of the day, they, they're they more about the actual average student-athlete, which yeah, is like, that's fine. I don't know, a tennis player. That's fine for them. They are way, but this is way over their heads. Yeah, way over they're their head. over their heads. They need like a separate yeah. branch for football and basketball, like seriously. Because those are the two biggest sports. Everything else they're doing okay at, like honestly. It's just, yeah. it's specifically football, it's like becoming, it's becoming a problem. <laughs> and yeah. I just don't know, man. It's It's a crazy time to be a college football fan, that's for sure. Hey, I'm all here for it. It's hey, at least it's entertaining, right? It's entertaining when it doesn't happen to your team. It's not entertaining exactly. for Notre Dame fans. Or it's entertaining when I get to be an Alabama fan and I can just watch us destroy Georgia uh, for the seventh time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow, well, this has been a fun episode, Randy. Um, obviously, next week we're going to talk about our bull season predictions. But oh, one last thing: there is a game this week. We need to talk about Army quick. versus Navy. We need to talk about this. It's an underrated game, in my opinion. This is a fun game. I watch every season, by the way. I always watch this one. So so do I. So do I. I think it's going to be very interesting. I mean, I don't think it's going to be a good game, to be honest. I think Army's going to run away with it. Probably. Army has had low-key a really good season, 8-3. 8-3, and, three. Eight and, three, yeah. and there are two of their losses. Two of their three losses are to Wisconsin in a one-score game. They, and yeah. where they almost... I don't want to say they almost beat Wake Forest. Wake Forest runner-up. They got in a shootout with Wake Forest, and they yeah. they put the pedal to them. Having seen them play like in person, like they, they actually are pretty fun to watch. Just their style of offense, the triple option. They're extremely disciplined. They run it well, um, and it's it's so unique. It's so unique. You see nothing else like this really in college football these days. 
Other than Navy, of course, who also runs the triple option. <laughs> so it should be a good game. I, I fully expect Army to win, probably by like a couple scores. But um, that said, real quick personal side note on this. My dad uh, was in ROTC growing up. And so he's always rooted for the Army. So in, in my household, we always say go Army, beat Navy. Um, so this game does have some, just very some, small, very, value very to me. some, very some. Yeah. <laughs> it's fun though. It's like, it's fun, man. It's just America, you know, it's just like the president's there. It's a, a true <laughs> display of patriotism. It's, yeah, just, yeah. it's just fun. It's a it's fun, fun, good old time where we're really reminded like what, what sports is all about. Exactly. Uh, like, yeah. We love the competition. Yeah. We love to get mad at each other. We love to flame each other. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's a sport, it's a game and we get to see greatness on display. <sighs> Which is a little bit contradicting to what you were just saying before, with how money is taking over the sport and it's all a sham. But for for At one day, day, we can enjoy game. it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like we said, though, next week we will be talking about bowls. We will have a preview. I think of every single bowl game. Is that correct, Randy? We're gonna have a, a that breakdown. is correct. We're gonna preview every bowl game. We're definitely gonna have a guest or two. Yeah, we need. We're them. gonna need them. <laughs> we need them because there's a lot to take in here. So come prepared. We'll we'll, we'll be recording people <laughs> for the episode. Oh yeah. Um, but that said. Randy, thank you once again. This is fun talking know. with you. Uh, and thank you for listening, folks. Really appreciate your support. Um, looking forward to Army Navy. Looking forward to bowl season coming up soon. And uh, yeah, it's been the Jim Podcast. Thank you once again. Roll Tide. On Wisconsin. Wisconsin.